Welcome to an inspirational message by Pastor Harold Weiss, Senior Pastor at Little Falls Christian Center. You know, the theme at the moment, as I greet you one more time in the name of Jesus Christ, the theme at the moment is, but God. And you know what? I could preach the whole year just on that one single theme because there's so much to see how the enemy comes in and then but God. And then the enemy tries something else and then but God. Every time deliverance comes from the Lord, because of God. And there's two, actually, I actually discovered something. When I looked for but God, I found both but God and I found but the Lord. So I got a double battle now. I got but God and but the Lord. And uh, we, we see everywhere where God intervenes, we see the devil makes trouble, inspires the ungodly, they get up to stuff, and then we see God intervene. And sometimes the Bible, say, the Bible says, but the Lord, and it uses the original name of the Almighty God in Hebrew, came in and he did this, that, the other, and another. And it is countless. There are so many places. I look at just one sentence here, many of them. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and the house with great plagues because of Sarai, the, uh, that is now uh, Abraham's wife. That is in Genesis 12, verse 7. And again, but the Lord was with Moses, with Joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. But God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And it goes on. God hardens hearts and then he softens hearts and he changes hearts. He steers them as a river that is being steered. If you look at the book of the, the books of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the, they call together corporately the books of wisdom. And uh, so we see how God comes in and he changes everything. I often think what would be the greatest intervention where you have the greatest calamity that I can find here in this book. And uh, I'm, I'm saying, what, what now is perhaps the greatest intervention? Now I can go through this one I have, I, I have marked already. So, okay, here's it, mate. What's the greatest intervention that happened uh, where God came in um, with such a force uh, with such a power that it brought the enemy to naught and very much put the devil on the run and caused calamity to the devil. Well, we need not look at but God any further than look at the cross. Now, when we look at the cross, we see a world. Just like Israel was in Egypt, and there was a very strange thing that I read there, but a beautiful thing. One of my favorite kind of remembrance memory pieces where it says, now the children of Israel were really suffering and they were now, uh, had taskmasters over them. They were in slavery in Egypt, in the land of Egypt. And it says, but, but God remembered his covenant with Abraham. God's memory to start off with is perfect. We need to understand that there's nothing that God ever forgets. God gives us good memory, but at the same time, 
all of mankind's memory put together cannot even come close what God is capable of in memory. He knows every star. He numbers the stars and gives them names. He knows every part of the entire creation. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. And he's just fully in the picture with everything. So here, in a time where God's children are in real slavery in Egypt, God remembers his covenant. And he's about, because of his covenant, to raise up Moses. And Moses would deliver his people. So we see slavery. We see the whoops and the whipping of the taskmaster upon the Israelis. I've looked at that book of, uh, actually a film of Charlton Heston, The Ten Commandments. I've looked at it several times and I cannot keep or stop looking at it. In fact, at the moment I feel like looking at it again just a week ago. Uh, that, that how they, they troubled them, how they beat them, how they mistreated them. And then the one thing that stands out above all, well, they actually two things. The one thing is they began to call upon the name of the Lord for deliverance. Now, do we call upon the name of the Lord if we are in trouble? And I'm not talking about national trouble here. I'm talking about any trouble anywhere in your life, whatever the case may be financial, phys physical, spiritual, material, social, whatever area you want. We talk about, we spoke about the mythical three-pronged three uh, attack fork of the devil, and we said family, we said sickness, and we said also financial, the main three areas in which he attacks mankind. If you look at this, he attacked them at every possible angle. Why? Because they belong to God. Why? Because God had... Uh, a covenant with Abraham and his covenant was so powerful that he would look after Abraham and Abraham's seed because a covenant does not stop at the covenanter uh, partner, so to speak. We call it a unilateral covenant because it's really God that made the covenant. And also on the cross of Jesus Christ, God made the covenant. So this covenant God made in Genesis 15, 6, was immense. There came a testing, the sacrifice of Isaac upon the Mount Moriah. And uh, we know that Abraham's, Abraham's faith was tested to the breaking point. But he hung in there and he trusted God, that God would be capable, capable of raising him up from the dead and giving him back to Abraham or do whatsoever God pleased. Abraham had this powerful faith. I was so blessed to be at his, at his grave in the city of Hebron or Hebron. And having said that, I thought to myself, you know what? What really is the biggest of them all, the biggest but God that we can find in the Bible? Of course, we have the cross of Jesus Christ. So the world is in raging sin. Nations come. Now, you need to listen to me because I'm going to put a little bit of history in it. Nations come, nations fall because of their fornication. We know that the very fornication of the Roman Empire led to its judgment and destruction. Nations come, nations fall. 
We know the Grecian Empire. We know the Babylonian Empire. We know the Persian Empire. We can go through all those empires. We see them come and go. But what we find at the core of the fabric that make up the nation, we find uh, out of control, fornication, and lasciviousness. And they just, they just do everything that is completely... Um, well, I don't, it's so bad that I actually don't want to talk about it. You read about it in the Bible, but it's really so bad. Once I saw a vision where I was taken over many waters, and in this vision, I, I saw, this is what I see. I saw, and I was in an upright position, I was lifted up from the land, going over many waters. They were dark waters, but as I looked down, I saw people, they were in nakedness, but somehow or another, God removed that which would be embarrassing, that that would not come to my attention, but showed me how they were committing the most heinous acts of fornication and defiling one another and themselves. And as they were doing it, they were sinking deeper into these dark waters until those that became so engrossed with it sank out of sight and I knew they were lost forever. I saw it. I saw it. And if I didn't see it, then I would be a liar. And if I am a liar, then I don't deserve to be right here and preaching to you because God has given me the fear of the Lord and I can only see and say what I have seen. So this happened to me. And then as I went, Paul says, my conscience bearing witness the Holy Spirit. I went to the other side of the waters, picked up, and lifted over, accompanied by the angels of God to the other side, and put down gently on the other side, and there was a land so beautiful. You cannot even begin to describe it, but looking back over those waters troubled me, and I turned and I looked over my shoulder, and I knew that many people would not make it. So is the planet. There is global catastrophe. There is fornication upon fornication, of all kinds. There is blasphemy. There is all kinds of lying, looting, stealing, violence, uh, abuse of governmental powers around the world, people being suppressed, people in bondage. Do you not see what God is seeing? Do you not know what he sees? How then did he react? He reacted because Israel in the book of Exodus chapter number one tells you that they began to call upon the name of the Lord. And then he remembered his covenant and his promise that he made to Abraham that he would deliver them from that land and he would judge that land ever so severely. So what we do know is that God remembers his covenant based upon his covenant, based upon our prayers, movement comes. Based upon God's covenant and based upon our prayers, who are which are based upon the word of God, we have answers and things change. It is none of my business to fight with any government. I never saw Jesus go to any parliament and address the parliament and tell them to stop doing whatever they're doing. But I saw my Lord and Savior continue with the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God and the good news to the people that were poor. Go read from Matthew 5. You see, blessed are the poor, 
for theirs is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. And he goes on with the blessings. And then he said, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the earth. It's amazing things. You listen to the greatest sermon ever spoken. The Sermon of the Mount from Matthew chapter number 5. Now, if we look at that, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. The oppression of the Roman Empire was upon them. There was fornication everywhere. It is recorded in history. Some Roman Romans, wealthy Romans, had up to 25,000 slaves. They did everything for them. And I need not go into any detail. It was a place of great filth and nothing else. Until God sent the so-called barbarics from the north and they attacked the Roman Empire and it came to its end because of its endless sinning and transgressing in the presence of the Lord. Just like Babylon came to an end at the time of the Tower of Babel. And God will deal, deal with the entire Babylonian system. Again, Revelation 17 and Revelation 18. There are two revelations in themselves there, separate but in two chapters in succession, in Revelation 17 and 18. Now, so mankind is in more trouble than what mankind realizes that they're in. They don't understand the real trouble. The real trouble is caused by the troublemaker, which is Satan himself, and the prince of the power of the air, the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavens. Over each nation, there's one appointed. Go read Daniel chapter number 10. And you see that these, these evil spirits got nothing else in mind but to destroy the land wherever they reside, where the devil has appointed them. And so over South Africa as well. And that specific spirit, that specific spirit that works and coordinates the fall of South Africa, I take authority in the presence of God's people over him right now. And I bind you in Jesus' name. And I strike you with the weapons of our warfare, mighty in God, to the pulling down of strongholds. And I break your power over this nation. The economy will recover and the people will be healed of this sickness. It will leave this nation. You are bound and prohibited in Jesus' name. Listen, in Jesus' name, you have been bound and you have been rendered harmless because the Lord spoiled you. In other words, he stripped you of all your powers right there during the time of the cross. What happened during the time of the cross? A very interesting book is called the Arco Volume. I'll hold it up like that, Arco Volume. It contains ancient writings. Somebody got into the Vatican vault and was able to go with one of the cardinals in there and find writings about Jesus, Pontius Pilate, and a lot of historical stuff. And among all of this, there's a whole chapter. There are pictures of the Vatican, and then there's also a whole chapter, Acta Pilati, or Pilate's report to Caesar of the arrest, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus. You know, that he washed his hands, said, I have no part in this man's death. And of course, then he delivered them, and uh, him, the Lord, and uh, of course, the Lord went, then went for his, his punishment. And as he goes, after now being delivered to the cross and Jesus being crucified, he describes the, 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 the situation in Jerusalem. The crowds like a vortex 
the, cry, the, the cries of anguish, anguish rising up above the, cry, the crowds and the terror of the day as darkness sets in over Jerusalem and God is busy with a covenant. You'll remember also in the time of Abraham, he, he brought great darkness upon him in Genesis chapter 15. Darkness descends and the veil of the temple is rent from the top to the bottom. So you couldn't have some oxen at the bottom uh, tied to the veil of the tent and tearing it from the bottom. He tore from the top to the bottom and that thing was thick. Some say it was woven as, as thick as three or actually two inches thick, that temple veil that was in Jerusalem. And only to find an empty space, an empty space called the Holy of Holies, because since the days of the prophet Jeremiah, the Ark of the Covenant mysteriously disappeared by instruction of God to the prophet Jeremiah, where to went the Ark. See, now it's very interesting that with all of that, Jesus Christ, his study is one of the most amazing studies to take his life and put it parallel to the Ark of the Covenant. And his life is parallel. And so just like, for example, the Ark of the Covenant captured by the Philistines, his life also captured now by these people who are ungodly and they're crucifying him. Why? Because he's actually busy doing a covenant. They are busy murdering, crucifying, killing Abraham's partner. They didn't realize it. He came to save them. They wanted to kill him. He came to give them love. They wanted to hate him intensely. They were driven along by all the forces of darkness and the phantoms of the netherworld that were there at, at hand looking at what was going on and how they could, they could, as we say in modern terms, psych up that crowd even more so they could crucify him on that cross. Well, it happened that uh, after this dark clouds that, that lowered over the particle of the temple and setting over the city, covered it with a veil. So dreadful were the signs that men saw, both in the heavens and on the earth, that Dionysus uh, is reported to have exclaimed, either the author of nature is suffering or the universe is busy falling apart. That is the day of the crucifixion seen from somebody that knew not Jesus as we know him now. Whilst these appalling scenes of nature were transpiring, there was a dreadful earthquake in, in, in the land, which filled everybody with fear and scared the superstitious Jews almost to death. It is said, Belshazzar, an aged and learned Jew of Antioch, was found dead after the excitement was over. Whether he died from alarm or grief is not known. He was a strong friend of the Nazarene. Near the first hour of the night, I threw my mantle around me and went down to the city towards the gates of Golgotha. The sacrifice was consummated. The crowd was returning home, still agitated, it is true, but gloomy, tactical, and desperate. What they'd witnessed had stricken them with terror and with remorse. I also saw my little Roman cohort pass me by mournfully the standard bearer having veiled his eagle 
in a token of grief. And I overheard some Jewish soldiers murmuring strange words, murmuring that which I did not understand. Others were recounting miracles very like those which have so often smitten the Romans by the will of the gods. Sometimes groups of men and women would halt, then looking back towards Mount Calvary, would remain motionless in expectation of witnessing some new uh, prodigy. I returned to the praetorium and set pensive on the ascending stairs, the steps of which were still stained the blood of the Nazarene. I perceived an old man in supplying posture, and behind him several Romans, several Romans in tears. He came to save the world. He came to save the world. He threw himself, this man, at my feet and wept most bitterly. It is painful to see such an old man weep. And my heart being already, this is Pontius Pilate, being already overcharged with grief. We, those strangers, wept together. And in truth, it seemed that the tears lay very shallow that day in many whom I perceived in the vast concourse of the people. I never witnessed such an extreme revulsion of feeling. Those who betrayed and sold him, those who testified against him, those who cried out, crucify him. We have his blood all slunk off like cowardly curs washed their teeth with vinegar. I need to read that again. Those who betrayed and sold him, those who testified against him, those who cried crucified him, we have his blood all slunk off like cowardly curs and washed their teeth with vinegar. As I'm told that Jesus taught a resurrection and a separation after death, if such should be the fact, I'm sure it commenced in this vast crowd. Father, I said to him, after gaining control of my own feelings, who are you and what is your request? And he said these words. I am Joseph of Arimathea, he replied. And I come to beg you upon my knees for the permission to bury Jesus of Nazareth. Pontius Pilate responded, your prayer is granted. I said to him, at the same time, I ordered Manlius to take some soldiers with him to the superintendent with their intimate, lest it be, be profaned in any way or should be profaned. A few days after the sepulcher was actually found empty after that. His disciple proclaimed all over the country that Jesus had risen from the dead as he had foretold. This created more excitement even than the crucifixion. As to its truth, I cannot say for certain, but I have made some investigation of the matter so you can examine it for yourself. He's writing to Caesar in Rome. And see if I am in fault, as Herod represents. Joseph buried Jesus in his own tomb. Whether he contemplated his resurrection or calculated to cut another for himself, I cannot tell. The day after he was buried, one of the priests came to the praetorium and said, they were, uh, that's of the day, I say again, after he was buried, they were apprehensive that this 
will happen that his disciples intended to steal the body of Jesus, hide it, and then make it appear that it had risen from the dead, as yet foretold that he would be raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. And of which they were perfectly convinced. I sent to him the captain of the royal guard, Malchus, to tell him to take the Jewish soldiers and place as many around the sepulchre as were needed. Then if anything should happen, they could blame themselves and not the Romans. Then with great excitement, when great excitement arose about the sepulchre being found empty, I felt a deeper solicitude than ever before. I sent for Malchus and said to him, he's the one who told me in place his lieutenant Ben Isham with 100 soldiers around that sepulcher. But he told me that Isham and the soldiers were very much alarmed at what occurred there that morning. I sent for this man Isham who related to me as near as I can recollect the following circumstances that took place now. He said that at about the beginning of the fourth watch, they saw a soft, beautiful light over the sepulcher. He at first thought that the woman had come to embalm the body of Jesus, as was their custom, but he could not see how they'd gotten through the guards. While these thoughts were passing through his mind, behold, the whole place was lit up, and there seemed to be crowds of the dead in their grave clothes, all seemed to be shouting and fixed with and filled with ecstasy, while all around and above was the most beautiful music that he ever heard in his life. And the whole air seemed to be full of voices praising God. At this time, there seemed to be a reeling and a swimming of the earth, so that he turned to so sick that he fainted and he could not stand on his feet. He said, the earth seemed to swim from under him and his senses left him so that he knew not what did occur. I asked him in what condition he was when he came to himself. He said, I was lying on the ground with my face flat down. I asked him if he could have been mistaken about the light. Was it not day that perhaps the light was coming in from the east? He said at first that he thought of that, but at a stone's cast, he was not able to see a stone or anything because it was exceedingly dark that night. And then he remembered that it was too early for a day. I asked him if his dizziness might have come from being wakened up and getting up too suddenly as it sometimes seemed to have that effect. He said he was not. He had not been asleep all night as the penalty of death for him would be death if you slept as a soldier on duty. He said he had let some of the soldiers sleep at a time. Some were asleep then. I asked him how long the scene lasted. He said he did not know, but he thought nearly an hour. He said it was hid by the light of day. I asked him if he went to the sepulcher after he had come to himself. He said no, because he was too afraid. that just as soon as relief came, they all went to their quarters. He asked him if he had been questioned by the priests. He said they wanted him to say that it was just an earthquake and that they were asleep. 
and offered him money to say that the disciples came and stole Jesus. But he saw no disciples. He did not know, notice this, he saw no disciples of Jesus at that time when he was there. He did not know that the body of Jesus was gone until he was told. I asked him what the private opinion was of those priests he had conversed with. He said that some of them thought that Jesus was not. He said that some of them thought that Jesus was no man, that he was not a human being, that he was not just the son of Mary, that he was not the same that was said to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem, that same person had been on the earth before Abraham and Lot and many times and at many places. It seems to me, if the Jews' story be true, that these conclusions are correct, for they are in accord with this man's life as is known and testified by both friends and foes. For the elephant elements, the elements were no more in his hands than clay in the potter's hand. He could convert water into wine. He could change death into life, disease into health. He still does that. You know that. You know that. You know that. Disease into health. He could calm the seas. He could still the storms. Call up fish with a silver coin in its mouth. Now I say, if he could do all these things, which he did, and many more, as the Jews testify, and, it was, and he was doing these things that created this enmity against him, he was not charged with criminal offenses, nor was he charged with violating any law, nor of wrongdoing of any individual person. And if all of these facts are known to thousands, as well as by his foes, as by his friends, I'm almost ready to say, almost ready to say, as Manlius did at the cross, truly, this was the Son of God. Good wishes from your servant, obedient servant, Pontius Pilate. I saw the stone with the image of Pontius Pilate. He's writing out there at Caesarea Maritim by the seaside. Pontius Pilate. Just a little piece there of that recount to Julius Caesar, to the Caesar of, of, of Rome at the time. My dear friend, the biggest but God in all of creation happened 2,000 years ago. Do you want to tell me God can't heal you of COVID? Do you ever want to tell me God cannot give you a new business? Do you ever want to tell me God cannot heal your wedding, your, your marriage to your wife and restore the love in your home? Do you ever want to tell me 
that you are limited in your gifts when God has richly blessed you with all the ability and you can do anything through Christ who strengthens you? Do you not have the mind of Christ? Don't you have the spirit of faith in Christ Jesus? Is there then any room for doubt? When the angels rejoiced and the Son of God ever lives to make intercession for you. I join him with that every Saturday morning. I try to get everybody together with the same thing. Let's pray to Jesus. He went through it all. Now we can face it all. And I close with these words. I said them this morning. I have a dream that the whole of the nation, I said the whole of the nation, of every tribe, kindred, tongue, of every color, no matter who it is, where it is, man and woman would come to the union buildings and pray a prayer for peace over this nation. For here it is written in the word of God, in the first place, don't rebel. In the first place, don't be defiant. In the first place, don't be arrogant. In the first place, do what the Bible tells you. Prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks and petitions be made for all men, especially for those who are in government in high authority, which is good, which is acceptable in the sight of God, who wishes all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth and that we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life. Do you think there is a future for the one that broke in at a store? Do you think there's mercy for the one that cursed another man for anger, for all the fornications? If a man turns towards God and says, I confess with my life, with my mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in my heart, God the Father raised him from the dead. I am saved. Lord, coming to my life, I repent of my wickedness, of my sins, sins, all of them. I turn to you with all my heart, you see. Jesus Christ is actually your doctor. Jesus Christ is your healer. Jesus Christ is the highest qualified of any person who can think medical. Jesus Christ is this book. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it tells you the Aleph Taf is right there in the first sentence of the Bible. Aft. Bara at Shimahim Hayerens. Elohim. God the Almighty. Created all things. Do you not think for one second I can go the Jesus way or I can go the way of disaster? I give my life to Jesus. I can, I can rejoice with the saints in the light or else I must face eternal damnation. I close with these words again. If you confess, yes, you, I'm looking at you now, with your eyes, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Repent, therefore, Turn away from wickedness. Turn over to God. Give your heart to the Lord. Return to Him. So the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. 
receive him in your life. Pray for his Holy Spirit to fill you, wash you in the blood of Jesus and have the mind of Christ. Let the ability of God move through you to open up doors and bless you now and forevermore. God bless you. Amen. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.